I want you to look with me tonight in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You know, last week we were, we talked about seeing Jesus and, and seeing him and what he did and, and the things that uh, he has done for us. And we were referring to the passion of the Christ and uh, talking about the the beating that he took, and all the things that he went through for us. But every one of us here, uh, if, if you say, well, have you seen Jesus? Well, in the flesh, I haven't. Maybe you have. I haven't. I haven't seen him in the flesh. But if we were to go around the room and say, what, is, what does Jesus look like to you? I don't know how many people are here, but that's how many opinions we would have as to what he looks like. We don't know the physical features. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen those pictures, and most of you remember uh, back uh, in the World War II time when this, the artist painted that picture, and it wound up on the walls of, of uh, our grandparents and parents, and, uh, you know, we'd see that and say, okay, that's Jesus. That's what he looks like, the long flowing hair and, and, and the, the features. But really and truly, uh, we see in our hearts, we uh, try to put a face on him. We try to, to build that character as to who he is. But I think more than just seeing the physical features of who Jesus is, is for us to know who he is and to accept the fact that he is God, he is our Savior, he is coming. And so many other things that you and I can, can think about uh, concerning that. But when we think about looking at Jesus and trying to discover exactly who He is, we have to think about who we are right now. And the truth of the matter is that all of us, we really and truly, we don't, some might not want to admit this, but all of us, we are what we admire, especially as you're growing up, you are what you admire. And we hang on to those things. Now, every one of us have, have this different upbringing that we had, and we relate, we go back and we say, well, I had to work, I had uh, to work in the fields, I had to do this and that. And we say, boy, I'm glad to get away from that. And then we, we started our life and we began to work just as hard as we worked back then. But it's different, see. But it means we are who we admire. And the things that we see growing up, the things that we desire within our life, whether we uh, achieve those things or not, still there is that, that want to. Uh, that we have. And all, all of us in, in some way have that. I read the story of, uh, of uh, two boys that, that grew up together and one of them uh, went off and, and he went to college and, and he was doing uh, whatever it was. And then the younger son, uh, he didn't, they wanted him to go to college, but he decided, no, I'm not going to do that. So he didn't go. 
and he joined the Navy. And his parents were just beside themselves. They couldn't understand. The dad was never in the, in the military. And they couldn't understand why he would run off and he would join the Navy and, and go and do this and this and this. And one day, one of the friends was over there and he walked into that boy's room and his wallpaper had ships all over it. And on his desk, he had models of ships and, and he had different things concerning that. And he called his dad in there and he said, my goodness, why wouldn't he go join the Navy? Look at all of this stuff. That's all he ever saw. And so he fulfilled that desire, that ambition. Now, physically, we do that. Spiritually, you and I are what we admire. Okay? So the question comes down to us, do we see Jesus and then admire him to be like him? Just like we would with some other part of our life. I'm going to say something to you, and I think you've probably heard it before, but I'm going to say it to you again. Many people talk about they want to, uh, they want others to see Jesus in us. And we want to reach them and so on and so forth. But the truth of the matter is, and I want you to, to hang on to this for me. The truth of the matter is, people do not want what you want, what you have, unless you want what you have. You got it? People are not going to want what you have until you want what you have. So what do you have? What is, what, is, what is down in here? Who are we? Are we pleased to be called a child of God? Are we happy that we can say that Jesus lives in me? Are we wanting to uh, allow others to be able to see uh, those things that are in my heart? And see the joy that, that comes from, from serving the Lord and, and all the things that we do. <clears throat> now when we want that, and we want it to the extent that that's how we become and that's who we are, that's when people are going to wonder and want the very same thing from you. So in our daily walk and in our Christian life, we have to want Jesus in us. We have to want people to see him because we, we're, we're full of joy when, when he's a part of us. But you know, sometimes we hide him. Any amens out there? We hide him because we don't, we don't want at that particular moment, wherever we are, we don't want anybody to really know that. So we just kind of pull him inside, and he's not able to be who he really is to us. So, wouldn't you agree that when we want what we have, we'll want others to have what we have, and they'll want what we have? Okay, now I can't say that again, so you better got it. Now. The writer of Hebrews, and we're not going to get into that. We could argue all night about that, you know. Who wrote it? 
Can some people say Paul wrote it? And that's a good guess. And some people say Apollos wrote it, and that'd be a good guess. Some people say Luke wrote it. That's a real good guess. But if you want to know who wrote the book of Hebrews, God wrote it. And if he wanted us to know who wrote it, their name would be there. So we move over that. Chapter 12 it comes out of chapter 11, and we call chapter 11 the Hall of Fame of Faith. As the writer begins to describe for us all of these that uh, showed their faith to those in that time period in which they were living, and it described the faith of, of different ones all the way through, and then down near the end it describes those who have given themselves, who have lost their lives and, and even he doesn't even mention them. He just talks about uh, how people are being killed and the things that are happening to them. And then verse 38, verse 38 always stands out to me because as they come down to the end of this hall of fame of faith, he's talking about in 37 that there are people that were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword, they wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, uh, they were destitute, they were afflicted, they were tormented. And then there's a parenthesis, of whom the world was not worthy. The world didn't deserve those people that stood this test all the way through the things that uh, happened to them. And so in the last verse, verse 40, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Now, remember, the chapter divisions are not there. And once he wrote, the writer wrote that, all of a sudden he says, now look back at all of that. Wherefore, all of these people of faith, wherefore, we are compassed about, the King James says. We are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Out of all of this faith that we have been uh, shown, different ones, the faith, Abraham and, and uh, Abel and, and all the others that, that uh, this writer writes about. And then all of a sudden, he tells us as we look at that, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. This, this is the verse, one of the verses of Scripture, and I, I never did cross my daddy much. Number one, I respected him. Number two, he could hit me and he, he'd hurt. But he and I disagreed on this verse. And I, and I told him uh, that I disagreed with him. And I told him why I disagreed with him. And he told me what he thought. And I told him again what I thought. And then his response was, well, you can be wrong if you want to. And, and, and he left. And one of these days when I get to heaven and I see him, I'm going to go up to him and say, see, I told you I was right. I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to get there. But these, this great cloud of witnesses, this is not people sitting up in heaven looking down at us and watching us. This is those people of chapter 11 that have gone before us. These witnesses surround us. If they have that kind of faith, so, so do we. We can exhibit that, that same kind of faith. And so here the writer says, we're surrounded with these witnesses Put aside those things that hinder you. 
from letting others see Jesus in you. Put all that aside. The sin which besets you and run with patience the race that is before you. Now, I want some of you to think back. Some of you got to get back a long, long time. How many of you ever run races in school? How many, how many of you won races that you run? All the hands went down. I saw some of them. Some of you don't want to brag. Yeah, I'm, I won. Isn't it interesting that when you play football, you put on an armor and they expect you to run? But when they put you on a racetrack, then they take all of that away from you because they don't want you shackled so that you can't run. And so we're able to move and, and we move quickly. And, and some run faster and better than others, but that's not the point. The point is this. You and I are in a marathon, not a sprint. All right. All right. So let us run with patience. All right. Folks, th this thing doesn't go 100 yards at a time, and then you sit down and do nothing until you're ready to go another 100 yards. This is a continual marathon. And God expects us to continue to move so that others can see Jesus in us. Okay? We have the, the spectators that are around us. They showed up, they've shown us what they can do. They encourage us as to what we can do. And now we put aside those things that keep us from running that race. We get this out of our heads that we're in a, in a dead sprint. And now it's time to move into the marathon. So what do we do? Verse 2. See those first three words? Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Now notice, notice how he, he pulls all that together. Notice, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our what? Of our faith. He began. He wants us to continue and persevere in what we're doing. He is the author. He is the finisher of our faith. Now, for us to do that and to be able to continue running the, the race with patience, we look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking unto Jesus. I wonder sometimes when you look around, you go out in the everyday world, what do you see? What do you see? I've had to ask myself this this week. What, what do I see? What do you see? Do, are we like Andrew? That once we have encountered Jesus, do we see our, our brothers in need? Do we see those that, that have a want? Like, like with the multitude that, that Jesus said, how are we going to feed this bunch? And all of a sudden, here he comes with a, with a young boy with fish and bread. And Jesus feeds the entire multitude. Do we recognize, as Jesus said, there is a field all around us and the harvest is ripe. Do we see that? Do we see the harvest and do we see that field? What do we see as, as we look around and, and, and what really what are we looking for? Now, you read in, uh, in the book of Isaiah, 
And, and Isaiah, you know, I, there, there's a lot of things that Isaiah said uh, that we can go back to and we can apply to the things in the New Testament. But Isaiah said in Isaiah 45, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. So if we want to be saved, we have to look unto God. And here he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The lost of this world are not looking for God. And they won't be looking for God unless we show them Jesus. Okay? They've got to see it here. We've got to want that. And then we want, we got, we want to share that. There are several times in the scripture that Jesus healed blind men. But you know, before any of those blind men could look out, they had to look in first. And when they looked in, then they cried out and Jesus opened their eyes. So what does it mean for us to look unto Jesus? I think the first thing that, that it teaches us is that we've got to look. Are you ready? You've got to look within you. We've got to look inside ourselves if we want people to see Jesus in us. And if we want to look unto Jesus. Now I'm going to admit to you one thing because I've been there. And I imagine that as soon as I say this, you're going to say, I've been there too. But when you begin to search the depths of your heart, that is a painful process. When you have to get down into your heart and see those things that are actually there and to see what God sees in your heart, it becomes painful for you and I. Most of us know the story about King David, how that King David saw Bathsheba he should have been out fighting he should have been out directing his men but he was so proud that he was the king that he's up on on the top of the palace and he's walking around and he sees this lady taking a bath he covets her he sends for her she can't deny the king she comes over to him he commits adultery with her she becomes pregnant calls his her husband in from the battle tries to get him to go sleep with her. He sleeps on his doorstep. He did everything he knew to do, so he sent him back to the battle with a note in his hand to be killed. He didn't open the note. He didn't look. He was so loyal to David, he went back. And Uriah handed that note to the captain. He put him in the heat, in the heat of the battle. He was killed. Boom. Everything's done. And then one day, the pastor of First Baptist Church, Jerusalem, went to see David. And I know he was a Baptist because he began to meddle in David's business. You remember the story he told him? David, there's a man in your kingdom that has so many sheep, he can't count them. And right across the road from him, there's one man that's just got one little lamb. And this man is going to have a party, had all these sheep. Got the, that one little lamb of that man, killed it, and, he, and ate it, and they fed his 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 party and David was so indignant he said you bring that man to me and I'll make him repay fourfold and I, I always love this picture because I can just picture Nathan as he took two steps toward David and he got right under his chin and he pointed his finger up in his face and he said you're the man 
you're the man. And that's when Psalms 51 came about. When David began to cry out about the sin that's in his heart. And he had to search and pull all of that up of the things that he had done against God. You remember the time when Peter... When Peter was standing by Jesus and he said, Jesus, all of these others will forsake you, but I'll never leave your side. I'll die with you. And Jesus said, Peter, oh, I wish you hadn't said that. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. No. Can't you just imagine the indignation of Peter? No, Lord. No, I won't. You'll deny me three times. And we all know the story. Boom. Boom, boom, the rooster crowed. And what does it say Peter did? He went out and wept bitterly, cried his eyes out, knowing that there was that inside of him, and his heart ached and his heart hurt. No wonder Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitfully wicked. We have to search our own hearts, but it's a painful process for us to do. And the truth of the matter is we never do that until we have a deep conviction that falls upon us to make us realize you have sinned against God. I have sinned against God. And so we have to get in and search our hearts so that we can clean that out so that God can have his way with us, but so that we can show forth Jesus it's not only that, but it becomes a powerful process to us. One of the best things that you and I can do if we want to make ourselves right with God, if we want to serve God, and we want people to see Jesus with us, we have to admit to God we are guilty. Guilty. Now, we, we, you know, you, you sit there and, and we say things like this, and you say, well, I don't do all that bad stuff. I see others doing things, and I, I've, I've seen it on television, or I've seen it here, and I've seen it there. And I don't do stuff like all these other people. That's fine. But you do sin against God. What's the difference? If we do that, and then try to compare it to someone else and what they do, and say, I'm not as bad as that person, probably not. But when we do that which is against God, when we do have thoughts, when we do or say things, when our attitude is not what it should be, when we drive people away from us because they don't want to be around us, when we have things that are before us and God provides an opportunity for us and we walk up to the opportunity and we go boom and we turn around and walk away from it. It's not only the things that we do, but it's the things that we don't do. That we sin against God. And we have to look inside our hearts and we have to make sure that that uh, is taken out and we admit that and we confess that to God. And that's when the guilt begins to move. We seek His face. You know, it was awful hard. And I, I remember growing up, it was an awful hard thing when I would do something wrong. And then mother and daddy would call me in and they would confront me with it. And the hardest thing for me to do was look them in the eye. But they made me. Or my, my dad did especially. Look at me. Look at me. I did that to my kids just so they know how it felt. Look at me. 
And I'd have to look at them and say, yes, that's what I did. Yes, that's what I said. Yes, that's what happened. Yes. You ever find it hard to look in the face of God when things are wrong in your heart? When things are not right? When we look unto Jesus, the time comes when we have to confess and we have to yield ourselves unto God and we have to make sure that that guilt is taken away from us. And we yield that to, unto God and we confess our sins. And it becomes a powerful process of cleansing us and then taking those things away. And then as we search our heart, the snare is released. We don't want to be like the demoniac that Jesus found when he stepped on the shore in the Gadarenes and the Decapolis on the other side when he, when he went over. And there that, that person was. They said, what's your name? My name is Legion because there were so many of the demons that were in him and destroying him. And Jesus cast them all away and, and brought this man down to freedom, releasing him from the snare of those things that were hindering him. And that's what he wants to do for us. God knows that we sin. He wants us to know we sin. Looking unto Jesus, we look inside of us first. We want to make sure that those things are right here so that we can prepare for what's ahead and look forward to the time when Jesus is coming. It's in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus said, and when the Master comes, will He find faith on this earth? Will He find us walking in that faith and living in that truth? Find us looking within inside ourselves every day, getting these things out, and saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I did, and I, I confess that to you. I have sinned. And aren't you glad to know that if we will confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, what a great God we serve. Yes. So it's important, if we're going to look unto Jesus, we've got to look inside of us. But also, if we're going to look unto Jesus, we've got to look around us Jesus sent us to minister now in John chapter 13 we all know the story of Jesus bringing his disciples into the upper room he's about to have the the fellowship meal with them but the first thing he does the scripture says that he took off his outer garment and he girded himself with a towel he got a water basin and he went around and he washed the disciples' feet. Remember? And as he began to wash the feet, he came to Peter. And Peter said, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? In other words, basically what he said was, you're not washing my feet. You're the master. I, I'm, I'm just your servant. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus looked at him and he said, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. And that's when Peter said, and if you read it in original language, basically this is what he said. He said, oh, Lord, give me a bath all over me because I want to be a part of you. He washed all the disciples' feet. And in verse 15, he said, I have shown you an example for you to do the same thing. Now, that's been taken to mean that we are to wash others' feet. But that's not what he means. What he means is we are servants to those that Christ brings into our life and we are to serve them 
and minister to them and be to them everything that Jesus is to us. He never turned away a leper. I still go back every once in a while and read in Mark chapter 10 when the two disciples were arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And all of a sudden they, they encountered blind Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus said, who, what's happening? Because of all the uproar and the voices that he heard. And they said, it's, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And then he began to yell out, Jesus, thou son of David. And that little phrase right there means Messiah to the Jew. Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on me. Remember what the scripture said? And Jesus stood still. He stood still. He said, bring him to me. And he came to him. He said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, I want to see. And he said, okay. We all know the story of blind Bartimaeus. But how many times now have you cried out to Jesus and had him stand still? Folks, he will stand still every time we call to him. He wants to listen. He wants to hear. What are we going to say to him? He stood still. And Bartimaeus came and Bartimaeus received his sight. He stood still. And Bartimaeus was able to understand he is the Messiah that is to come. And in his, in his heart, I believe Bartimaeus was changed at that particular moment. And because of that, Jesus stood still and brought him there. And Bartimaeus is basically saying, Lord, I want to see. I want to see you. I want to see all those things that you have done. What do you want me to do? He could have told him so many things, but he said, Lord, I want to see. And I don't mean he, he meant totally. I want to see physically. That's what he was wanting, of course. But I think he wanted to see and hear. When Jesus went to the lame man in John chapter 5. And he said, I don't have anybody, uh, anybody to put me in the pool when the angel stirs the water. And Jesus said, will you be made whole? He didn't ask him if he wanted to walk. He said, do you want to be whole? He stood still. He stood still when the leper cried out and said, Lord, have mercy on us. He stood still. And when they came to arrest him in the garden... He stood still. And when they began to beat him, he stood still. When they put the crown of thorns on him, he stood still. When they drug him down the Via Dolorosa, he made his way and he laid on the cross and he lay still. He was still on the cross as he died. But on that third day when he rolled that stone back, he walked out of that stone and he walked up into heaven and now he stands still for me and you. Look around you. There are those that need to hear Jesus will stand still for you. A dear friend of mine, he's dead now. I preached this one time in a revival and he found me and he said, he said, I took a man with cancer to the doctor the other day after I heard your message. And he, and he said, he said, I took him in and the doctor took him back. They were going to check and see what his cancer was doing. And he said, I began to pray that God would stand still for James. 
He wanted James to be rid of the cancer. And he said, I, I prayed. I want, Lord, please stand still for James. And James come walking out of there about 30 minutes later. And he looked at him and he said, Bob, they said my cancer's gone. And Bob said, I started walking out of the room with him. And we were walking out and we were so happy. And James stopped to do all the stuff at the desk there. And he said, I just, I just raised my head and I said, oh God, thank you for standing still for James. And he said, just like he was standing right beside me, I heard his voice and he said, I didn't stand still for James. I stood still for you. Do you understand what God wants to do? He wants to stand still when we say, I believe you, Jesus. I believe that you can do this. And he stands still for us and says, watch the power of the Lord. Look within yourself and then look around you. There are those that need Jesus and he will stand still with us so that we can share Jesus with a lost and dying world. Most of you know I've got a little saying in my office. And it's very simply says, just build a bridge and get over it. Now, that's for those people that want to come and, and gripe about a lot of stuff. And I like to show them that little deal. When it don't amount to anything, just build your bridge and get over it. Get, get on with your life and, and, and do something. But the greatest bridge builder that has ever existed and never lived is Jesus Christ. And he's built a bridge from heaven to us. And he wants us to learn to build those bridges so that people can come and they can find Jesus inside of us. He wants us to build a bridge that shows the light in the darkness and the hope and the despair and the encouragement where there's nothing but discouragement. Focus yourselves on Jesus as not only as you look within yourself, but you look around. We invite others to him, not to yourself. You invite them to Jesus and you ask them to come to him. Jesus, meet you wherever you are. Lord, I'm a sinner. He said, I've been waiting a long time to hear that. Lord, I've sinned against you. I understand that. And Lord, here, here's what's on my heart. Here's what I know is there. Boom, boom, boom. Get it out. Get it out. Admit it. Call it by name. Here it is. Just stay with God until you get all of that out that's, on, that's in your mind that he brings to your heart and to your mind and get all of those things out. And then say, Lord, I know there are so many other things there, but dear God, I'm praying, please forgive me. I have sinned against you. And when we do that, our hearts begin to open and we see people as Jesus sees them in need of a Savior. Do they want what you have? Do you want what you have? And that's the thing that Jesus wants us to know. Jesus wants to work in our lives. He wants our lives to be challenged. He wants our lives to be everything that he wants them to be. You know, sometimes we get so involved in ministering that we forget something. And you know what it is? It's not about me. It's not about me. I used to go when I was a young, smart-alecky kid. Hadn't changed much, but I'm getting a little better. But I'd go and I'd listen to other people preach, and all I did was pick their message apart. Boom, 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 boom. Thinking about how much better I could do that. 
And I could hear the voice of God. It's not about you. It's not about what you can do. And I want you, I've been, I've been cut down several times. You ever had God cut you down? Huh? If you have, you'll know it. I guarantee you. We've got to make sure that we don't make this about us. It's not about us. This is about sharing Jesus with the lost and dying world. And that's what God has brought us here to do. So look within yourself. You've got to get that right first. And then look around you. There are those around you. And then look beyond where you are. Look beyond and see just exactly what God is doing in our lives. You know, one of the things that we do to God is that we limit Him. We limit Him on what we will allow Him to do. We place restrictions and limitations upon Him. And when that happens, we convince ourselves, I can't do this. I can't, I can't. Because you see, we, we put those boundaries there. And so we say, I, I, just, I just can't do this. And, and I'll just be embarrassed if I do this. 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15 says something that's very important to you and I. Because 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Be ready to give an answer. Are you ready to give an answer? Somebody comes up and, and starts talking to you about the Lord, and, and uh, I don't know, I'm talking about arguing with you. I don't argue with anybody. I don't believe God is to be argued, and I won't argue with anybody uh, about the Scripture. I'll share it best I can. But have we convinced ourselves that if somebody says something like that to us that, that we don't know how to respond? That I, I wouldn't be able to share that hope that is in me? Well, the thing that we have to do is that we have to learn those things. That's what God wants from us. You know, my, what I've done for over 50-something years is that I, I love the Roman road. I can walk down that road, but I've been doing it for a long time. And I know that road, and that road will get you into heaven. There are some people that uh, use the bill glass, the the four spiritual laws, know that, you know, and, and you, you can find that little booklet and you can use those four spiritual laws. You can do that. I use the Roman road. Other people use the Roman road. Other people have other ways that they uh, have designed where they can take their Bible and, and they can tell people about Jesus and say, here's what the scripture says. And you show it to them and let them read that. It's not hard, but it's something that we have to learn. Now, to some of you, I could say, well, can you do this? Oh, yeah, I can do that. Because it's something that I've, I've done a lot, and I'm not afraid to do that. We shouldn't be afraid to stand up for what God says to us and what God teaches us and learn those things that, that we're able to share with someone else so that if they have the need of a Savior, we're ready. Look beyond where you are now. Can I do this? Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. One of the things that Jesus said to Peter in that uh, John chapter, John 13, 
in verse 7, when Peter was telling him, you're not going to wash my feet, one of the things that, that Jesus said to him uh, was he said, Peter, what I'm doing now, you don't understand, but you will know after this. After what? After the crucifixion, he still didn't understand. After the resurrection, he still didn't understand. He went fishing. He still didn't understand. He was accosted by Jesus on the seashore. He still didn't understand. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. He didn't understand it. Let's go to the upper room. He still didn't understand. But ten days later, he understood. What happened? The Holy Spirit. You want to be able to give an answer? Clean yourself out. See what's there. Prepare yourself. And move forward. Giving to people what you have. Because you want what you have. Look unto Jesus. See Him. You ever look up? I'm just honest with you. Have you ever looked up and seen Jesus smiling? You know, I, I know. He doesn't. You know, it's been five or six years ago. I was out here one night. It was about 7 or 8 o'clock. It was in the summertime, and the sun hadn't gone down. There was clouds in the sky. And I walked out of the doors down there. And as I walked out of those doors, I looked up, and there were two clouds just right above right over here and both of them were were hearts just like this there was one here and one over here both of them shaped just like a heart and there was some things going on at the church at that time and I walked out and I looked up and I saw that and I said okay father I understand you love me it's going to be all right and guess what it's all right. What do you see? We got to look unto Jesus. The author, the finisher. And one of these days, we're going to stand in his arms and feel that embrace. Don't be afraid. Let others see Jesus in you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your truth of your word. And I pray, Father that you bless your word tonight. Father, speak to us that our hearts, Father, would be drawn to you. Lord, I do pray in my own heart and my own life. Father, forgive me. Oh, Lord, I have sinned and I have fallen so short. But, Father, thank you for your forgiveness and your love. And now, Father, I pray that you speak to our hearts. I pray, Father, that you give us the boldness, the strength, Lord, that we can stand and we can stand for you. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, me included, Lord, would make up your minds. I'm, I want what I got, and I want other people to see Jesus in me. So, Lord, help me to be that witness, and Lord, help me, Lord, to get rid of the sin that would separate us, that they can see Jesus. Not me, it's not about me, but they can see you. Father, I thank you for the blessing of the day. I pray that you go with us now through the evening. Use us in this week to bring honor and glory to you. Father, bless Central Baptist Church that we move forward in the name of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.
Good night, folks. Thank you.